Hebrews chapter 1, we have the privilege of really beginning, well, I guess really the second week in our series on the book of Hebrews. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be about nine months to go through the book, and we are excited. If it's anything like our experience as we walk through the book of Genesis over, over a year, um, for me, I our walk through the book of Genesis flew by. And I miss it. I miss the book of Genesis like an old friend. And so it's my hope that by the time we reach the end of Hebrews, um, we'll feel the same way about this book and just not want to be done with it. So um, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 4, which really just set the the framework, set the stage for the entire rest of the book. And um, before I go ahead and read God's word, I just want to make a note. I've got a cough drop in if it... If it's awkward, if I hit, hit the mute button, I had the tonsillectomy a couple weeks ago, so if I am stuttering in my uh, <clears throat> speech like that, um, just please ignore it and think, okay, that, that's just, uh, he's still healing from surgery. So, um, turn your Bibles to Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. This is God's Word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray. Father, I pray that that you would reveal your Son to us in a fresh light. God, I pray that we would grasp how great Jesus is and how great your Word is, and that, that you would renew our hope in Jesus. Father, I pray that we would, we would have faith and hope in your promises, both individually and as a church. We would embrace your Word and the promises to us that come to us through Jesus. God, we pray that you would build this local church on your word, on your son, and that you would cause us to grow and, and to give us new, new life in your word, in your son. And God, I just pray practically. I pray for all those who are listening this morning that you would give grace to them to hear me and my broken voice. And, and God, I just pray that you would give me grace to speak. And that, Lord, where I am weak, you would be strong. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, years ago, while we were still living in the Vancouver, B.C. area, my wife very kindly surprised me with an introductory flight. Um, They have these things that different flight schools offered throughout that area. It's called the Lower Mainland, and it's, it's near the coast, on the west coast of B.C., and 
You take this introductory flight, and the hopes were of the flight schools that you would like it so much, that you'd be so captured by the beauty, and you'd be so enamored with the flight, and you'd so love it that you'd you know, go ahead and figuratively buy the ticket, that you'd, you'd buy into it, that you'd pay for flight lessons, that you'd sign up with their school, that you'd want to do it. They were hoping that as you got a different perspective, as you got a different view of things, as your perspective was elevated, as you could see the whole landscape, that you would get excited about flying. Well, it did that for me, but I didn't have the money, so we didn't buy the ticket. But um, it, it was a wonderful experience, and this morning, we're, we're going to be talking about really a change of our perspective. Last week, why we had Ryan recite the entire book of Hebrews all through is it gives you a different perspective, doesn't it? For, for most of us, we've, we've never heard an entire book of the Bible presented like that. And, and when you hear God's word spoken like that, it gives you a different perspective. It gives you a different view on his word. You hear different things. You see different things. You have a different aspect on the landscape of Hebrews, if you will. And this morning, as we set the stage for the rest of the book, and really this message forms introduction, because appropriately, this, these first four verses our introductory to the whole book of Hebrews and help explain and lay out the framework for the book of Hebrews. And as we're doing that, we're kind of doing a flyover of the book of Hebrews and we're going to be going through different aspects. And it's our hope, it's our hope, it's our prayer that you like the flight so much that you, you, your passion grows for the rest of the book and that you want to be committed to saying, God, I want whatever you have for me and I'm signing up for the long haul. It's our hope that as you see a different perspective on God's word on who Jesus is, because really the entire book of Hebrews, it's all about Jesus, the Son of God, and revealing Christ, revealing Jesus for who he is, and revealing Jesus for what he's done in his superior work. And my hope, and and Aaron's hope, and our hope for you is that as you see Jesus as greater, as you see Jesus as superior, as you see Jesus as highly exalted like we sang about this morning, my hope is that your passion for him will grow. My hope is that you'll have renewed excitement and a fresh perspective on your salvation. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's message, I encourage you to go back and do that. This week we're slowing down, we're flying through, and I was thinking about where we're at as a church. You know, it's, it's been almost nine years that this body has been together as a church. There's, there's many new faces here, and I think there's a very few amount of people who were actually here to begin with who are still here. Who, who was here nine years ago when the church was started? Oh, that's amazing, actually. It's almost, almost everybody who helped to begin the church nine years ago is still here. But our church, the landscape of our church has changed a bit. Our church has grown and what happens as a church grows and develops and as a, as a church gets used to each other and gets used to doing church is that, unfortunately, there's some dangers to that. There's some dangers to the Christian walk as you progress through the Christian walk over the years, as you become more familiar with the Christian walk. There's some dangers to that. There's some dangers that we would take Jesus for granted, that we wouldn't be excited about him. There's some dangers that we would, we would fail to be passionate about our first love. That's why we're in the book of Hebrews. Because that's not the kind of church we want to be, is it? Can I hear a no? <laughs> Amen. I, I don't believe, here's the good news, I don't believe we're done growing as a church. Isn't that good news? Both individually and as a church as a whole, I don't believe we're done growing. 
I don't believe we're done growing in our depth and knowledge and affection and passion for Jesus. I don't think we're done growing personally. I don't think we're done growing corporately. I don't think we've reached our full potential as a church yet. And that's, that's not daunting. That's exciting. We're not plateauing. Look, we, we've got a ways to go. We get to c- continue to climb the mountain and see the vistas, see the views of where God has for us and see what God has in store for us. And, and I think the Lord wants to use our church even more effectively as a, as a gospel witness and a gospel community in this area. And that's exciting. I like to see our church continue to grow and, and be known as genuine disciples of Jesus who are passionately growing in Jesus and, and making disciples of Jesus. Don't you want that church? I mean, here, yes. <laughs> and if you don't want that yet, I want you to want that. I like to see us continue to grow in our mission together. I want to see each and every one of us preaching the gospel to the lost in our own lives, in our area, and see the gospel bear fruit and change hearts and, and minds and lives as people come to Jesus. Don't you want that, church? Yeah. Amen. I like to see people who were recently unbelievers be saved and be baptized. We're going to have a baptismal service sometime in the next few months. I'd like to see unbelievers in that baptism. Wouldn't that be cool? The danger of being at the place where we're at as a church is that we can drift away from what we've heard, drift away from our first love. And, and really, that was the danger that the group, that the author in Hebrews, he was writing to them. And he was, there's, there's four or five different places where the author in Hebrews, he warns them. He's encouraging them. He wants them to see a picture of who Jesus is. The entire book of Hebrews, it's really, he's he's communicating to them a picture of who Jesus is and all his grandeur. He's taking the flight up high and he's saying, look, look who Jesus is. And then he warns them throughout. And this warning is not just for them. There's warnings for us as well, not to drift, not to fall away. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Because that is a temptation in the Christian walk, isn't it? Temptation to give up. Temptation to lose heart, to lose hope. And, and, and something else that can happen after nine years of church is you can just become weary. You can become tired. I loved it when I got to fly up over the lower mainland and see, I got to see the coast and I got to see the mountains and where the mountains came down into the coast and the, the river and it was just the beauty and the grandeur. It made me love that area even more. I want you to love Jesus even more as you see him in the book of Hebrews. I want you to see the beauty, the grandeur, the majesty of Jesus and your salvation. I want you to fall in love with Jesus even more. There's a danger of becoming settled and just doing church and failing to be passionate about Jesus and what he's done failing to be in love with Jesus and live wholeheartedly for him. But here's my confidence. I don't think that's going to happen to us as a church. But we have to constantly be on guard. Let's be on guard against just being nice Christians. Now, I'm not saying be mean. I'm not saying that at all. But let's just not just be nice, comfortable Christians in a nice, comfortable area where people are generally pretty well behaved and we can live our lives and and go about our routines and fail to carry out our mission. Hebrews is a great book for us to focus on as a church right now. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the book of Hebrews because it's going to help us all see and be more appreciative of, of the message that we've received and our great Savior 
and the response we've been called to as disciples. Maybe nothing is really wrong in your life. But maybe nothing's really great either. Let me challenge you. Find Jesus is greater. Find Jesus is greater. He is greater. You can become lackluster, faint-hearted. If you live long as a Christian, you can become beaten down from suffering and difficulty and hardships and just a continual grind of life and, and fail to be inspired by the message you've been given and, and the goal we have and the rewards we'll receive. If so, there's good news for you this morning. The good news is Hebrews, Hebrews is written to people like you and me. It was written to people with these conditions. It was written to encourage us, to give us hope, to instill faith in us. Don't we all need hope and faith in Christ? Even though it was written long ago, it was written somewhere between 60 and 70 AD, it applies to our lives and what we face in a very relatable way. Even though it may take some unpacking to do, since most of us are not familiar with the Old Covenant, we're going to walk through that. There's several points in the book of Hebrews where it repeats itself. We know that. That's intentional. Um, why it repeats itself. Because it's driving home messages to us about Jesus. He's greater than the covenants. Jesus, he's greater than the law. Jesus, he's our great high priest. Jesus, he's given us access to God. Jesus is the name above every name. We don't know exactly who, who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's not important. We do know that shortly after the book of Hebrews was, was delivered and written, although it was originally circulated as a, as a letter that was affiliated or associated with Paul, the Apostle Paul probably did not write the book, but it shouldn't give us any less confidence. Within a very short time, the, the whole entire church clearly recognized this was a, a masterfully written book given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I think it's, it's probably one of the most beautifully written, carefully constructed, theologically rich, powerfully persuasive books in the New Testament. It's, it's likely, as I, as I mentioned last week, it was likely meant to be read aloud initially as a, as a sermon or as an exhortation and then meant to be studied. So that's what we're doing. We read it aloud, now we're going to dive in and study it. Here's a quote I want to share with you about the book. And I don't know if I have it up here or not. Katie, help me out. We're switching over to a new projection system, so there are a few bugs. There's a quote by Peter O'Brien. I may not have it up there. It says, uh, he summarized the book well, and he said, it challenges our understanding of reality. That's what this book does. It challenges our understanding of reality, and it makes us ponder a world in which the unseen is more real. Did you get that? The unseen is more real. More powerful and more attractive than that which can be seen and touched and counted. That's the effect the book of Hebrews is meant to have on us, that the unseen Jesus would be more real than that which we can touch and see and count. The letter that wonderfully portrays Jesus as Son of God and great high priest, which is, who is both human and divine, the crucified and exalted one. This letter also makes stringent demands on its readers in relation to Christian discipleship. It summons believers, just as it did the first listeners, to unqualified commitment. That's what we're being summoned to, unqualified commitment. Unflagging perseverance. That's what we're called to in the Christian walk, in a willingness to suffer for one's faith. 
Hebrews is written to show us just how great this salvation is that we have in Jesus. It's meant to re-envision you with a picture of the splendor of salvation so you don't hope anything else. Because you know what? Nothing else compares. In the Christian walk, subtly, you can begin to hope in other things. You can begin to hope in yourself. You can be hoping what other people think of you. You can be able to hope in your own ability to, to walk out the Christian life successfully, to, to be sanctified and holy. And all those things are not what we're meant to hope in. We have one hope, and it's not us. That one hope is Jesus. It's a danger we wouldn't understand the significance of the message. It's a danger we'd fail to pay attention to the message, that we drift away. In Hebrews 2.1, it says, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Church, it's my hope that we wouldn't fail to grasp who it is that's it's been given to us and, and why Jesus was not just necessary, but he's better than the old covenant. Hebrews is going to unpack how Jesus, the new covenant he brings, is better than the old covenant. And there's a finality and an authority to God's word spoken in his son. It says in the past it was delivered through angels or messengers, through prophets and the patriarchs. But now in these last days, God has finally and fully revealed himself. You ever find yourself wondering, God, would you speak to me? Ever, anybody ever say that? God, just speak to me. Here's the cool thing. He's spoken to us completely in his son. It's not a pat answer. It's, it's really true. So when we're having those, those moments of longing, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to understand you. We're meant to go and look at Jesus. God's word spoken to us in the Son fully and finally revealed. In the main opening passage, it really helps to frame the entire book of Hebrews. And here's the main idea I want us to get this morning for, for these four verses. The main idea. It's God has ultimately spoken to us through his son. God has ultimately, God has ultimately spoken to us through his son. The, they're, they're really just three simple, but I hope they're life-changing points that we're going to unpack from these, these, these short four verses. And the first point we're going to come to immediately in the first verse, it's, it's that God is a speaking God. That's the first point. God is a speaking God. God's not deaf. He's not silent. He's not mute. He's, he's a speaking God. He hears. He understands. He speaks. Why is that good news? It's good news because God's not dead. God's alive and he speaks. I love the continuity of Scripture. Look down in verse 1. It says, long ago, at many times or in many parts, that, that could be translated, and in many ways, many parts, in many ways, long ago, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Hebrews, O'Brien says, Hebrews, it begins powerfully by powerfully proclaiming the decisive nature of God's saving action in and through Christ. In these opening lines, the author is beginning to set up parallels. And there's going to be a bunch of these parallels as we go through the book. You're going to see, what's he doing? What's this author doing? Where the carefully constructed parallels that point to the old covenant, the new covenant. The old covenant, the new covenant. The contrast between the old covenant, where God revealed himself in part, and now the new covenant, where God has revealed himself in full. Now, the Old Covenant wasn't done away with. It was just fulfilled in the New Covenant. We can see down in the Bible, it says, in many ways, by the prophets, contrasting with the Son, it says, before God spoke to our fathers, now he's spoken to us. There's some continuities you're going to see throughout the book of Hebrews as well. All throughout, it's God who's taking the initiative. God who speaks. 
God spoke to man in the garden. He gave him commands. He let him know how, how to live. He spoke to Adam and he gave him warnings about what not to do, but he gave, him, he gave him everything he needed to live and he continued to pursue man. And isn't it good news that God continues to speak, that he's always been a speaking God and that God continues to be a speaking God who pursues his people. All through the book of Genesis, we saw that. God spoke. Man rebels. Man forgets. God speaks. Draws him back. Calls him back again. Man rebels, forgets. God called Abraham. Abraham was a loser. God called him again. Isaac, Jacob, the deceiver, manipulator. God called him back again and appeared to him multiple times. And and all throughout, we see that God is a speaking God throughout the rest of the Old Covenant. But the difference is, in the Old Covenant, he's spoken in different parts and in different ways. He spoke to the prophets, He spoke in part through miracles, through signs, through wonders. He spoke through Moses, through parting the Red Sea. He demonstrated who he was, his might, his majesty, his character, that he's God over all, that that he was a faithful redeemer. He spoke in many parts, in many ways, but they didn't have the privilege of having the divine full revelation of God in one person. And yet now, God has spoken to us. God continues to speak to us, and he... He's not dead. He's, he speaks to us in his son. We're going to see through the book of Hebrews, you're going to see this picture of the patriarchs, both as a negative example and as a positive example as well. So we have to understand who, who God is and how he relates to us better. We're going to see in chapter 3 and 4 of the book of Hebrews that in the days of old, some people rebelled and they didn't enter in because of unbelief. And we have a negative example of the God speaking to the fathers and they rebelled against his speaking. In contrast, in Hebrews 11, we have this, this wonderful hall of fame of the heroes of the faith where God spoke to them. They put their faith in him. They trusted in his word. And how God delivered them. He carried them. So we see these examples of how God spoke to people and how they responded. And we're going to see that throughout the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews 11, 26, it says, He considered the reproach of Christ, talking about Moses, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to a reward. So we see God speaking about a promise, then putting their hope and faith in the promise, and, and, and God sustaining them. It says at the end of Hebrews 11, we see in 1140, that it says, God had provided something better for us than the forefathers in his son. God's provided something better for us. Isn't that good news? It's amazing that he's provided something better for us than the forefathers, than Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Rahab and Joshua and all these heroes of the faith. We're going to see that God's spoken and provided better things for us. Hebrews 12, 28, it encourages with a heavenly perspective. It says, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Do you feel like your kingdom can be shaken? It can't because our hope, our kingdom is not here. It's in Christ. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And it says, and let, us, let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and all. Hebrews addresses what we're living for, what we're hoping in, where our hope is. And is our hope in the Son? This morning, that's the question for all of us. Is your hope in the Son? Is your hope in His Word? Is your hope in His promises? 
Are you hoping in your own kingdom? Is it faulty? Is it, is it shaky? Is your confidence failing? If so, you're probably not hoping in his kingdom, hoping in his word. There's good news. You can turn again and hope in his word. Look down in your Bibles again. It says in, in, in verse 1 here, the little translation, at many times, in many ways, many parts or many ways, he spoke to God, God's people in parts. He gave them progressive revelation. But now in the New Testament, he's, he's given his full revelation to us in his son. He spoke through his actions and his direct words to Moses and men like David, but he hadn't spoken decisively and fully until now. And, and look down, it says in verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And the second point really that, that we're going to see from the passage in verse 2 is simply this. It's just that point 2 is now God has spoken to us through his son. Now God has spoken to us. So God's a speaking God, but he's spoken to us through his son. It says in these last days, these days, what does that mean? In these days when we await the fulfillment of what he's, he's said will happen and then making it fully happen. The theologians call it the days of already but not yet fully. Already but not yet. The in-between days after his kingdom has come when, but not fully when we wait the, the ultimate fulfillment of his plans. And, and I long for that. We sang that song this morning, soon and very soon. I can't wait for the ultimate fulfillment of that. But you know what? We've been given the ultimate word already in his son. It's a theme that's going to repeat itself throughout the book as well. In Hebrews 2.8, it says that now in putting everything in subjection to him, talking about the son, he left nothing outside his control. Do you believe that? Do you believe God's word given to us in his son? Nothing's outside of his control. Hebrews is meant to give you faith that nothing is outside of Jesus' control. That's good news. Because sometimes life feels like it's out of control completely. He left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Right now, we don't see it fully happened yet. But Jesus has been given full and complete dominance over everything. And this view of the times, it's going to help frame and shape the rest of the book and the exhortations the author is going to give us in, the, in these present times, how are we to live? We're to live in faith, knowing the entire universe belongs to Jesus and he's going to be at work in us. He's going to be at work in you and in me to do his will and, and everything will be made new one day. That's exciting. It's exciting that everything will be made new one day. We can have hope and confidence because Jesus is over everything. Everything's going to subjection to him. Nothing's outside his control. His message is really the, the focus of the entire book of Hebrews, and it makes a sense because really the Son of God in this gospel message we've been given, it's, it's the focus of the entire Bible. And so Hebrews helps us see that. This turning point in time and all of revelation that was reached when his Son was revealed, the full revelation of Jesus, full revelation of God in Jesus. God's spoken to us through his Son. We don't need anything else. He's greater than the angels. It's a theme we're going to see there. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. And he brings us into a true and promised land. He's greater than all of these things. He's spoken to us not just in the words of Jesus. He's spoken to us in the saving actions of Jesus as well. In his birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And then we're going to see in verses 2 to 4 our third point. <clears throat> 
the Son is the ultimate Word of God. He's the ultimate Word of God. He's the pinnacle. He's the peak. He's the ultimate Word of God. God has spoken to us. Verse 2 says, there are seven proofs that we're going to walk down through that the author of Hebrew gives us. He gives us seven different proofs why the Son is the ultimate Word of God. Why the Son is the superior Word of God. He gives us seven different things. And we'll see, he says, one of those first things is that he's the heir of all things. He's the heir of all things. Why is he the ultimate Word of God? Because he's the heir of all things. We don't need any new new so-called new revelation or any new religions. We don't need anything else. We don't need anyone else. We have Jesus. We don't need the Book of Mormon supposedly given by a so-called angel. We have the Son. We don't need the writings of Confucius. We have the Son. We don't need the writings of Buddha or Mohammed. We have the full and final revelation of Jesus and all that has been written about him in the New Testament. We have all the revelation of God. We don't need anything else. We shouldn't look anywhere else. Science isn't going to reveal anything to the contrary of what we received either. Even if we don't understand how it interprets life, we, we know that nothing is outside of God's control. We've received Jesus. Looking in verses 2 to 4, he's the ultimate word of God. He's the best and fullest representation of God. Everything belongs to him. What does it mean that he's the heir? Everything belongs to him. I went to visit the Biltmore with my parents recently and took them there and they were just awed by everything and it's just interesting that it was just a husband and wife and one daughter. They had this entire estate. It's just massive. I, I think it was... Uh, I think it was 80,000 square feet, the house. My house is like 2,000 square feet, some things. 80,000 square foot home. It covers four acres. It, it, was, it was left to, to one girl. <laughs> wow, being an heir of that kind of estate. Jesus is, is not the heir of the Biltmore. Jesus is the heir of all things. Wow. Not just some things. There's not some things that lie outside of his control. There's not some things that have not been given to Jesus. He's the heir of all things. You know, when, when you want to lodge a complaint, you ever, not that I'm encouraging you to complain, but at times, sometimes customer service is not always what you hope it would be, and I had a certain <clears throat> vendor who was providing our television services uh, a couple years ago and <clears throat> they were less than satisfactory and, and I tried to get resolution it didn't happen, didn't happen so finally I looked up on the internet found out who was their vice president of operations and who was their VP of sales and I called them up and I got good service the same day it was just amazing, <laughs> boom and actually I sent an email to the president of the company and copied the VP in, of operations and sales and I got a result the same day uh, Mr. Rawlings, uh, we're calling from the office of the president uh, we'd like to help you out really? Oh, cool, thank you that's nice of you and uh, <laughs> when, you want, when you want something done when you need something who do you go to? you go to the top, right? or at least eventually hopefully you go to the top um, sometimes, I mean, hopefully good customer service will happen and you don't have to do that. Um, but in our lives, why, why should we be excited about Jesus being the heir of all things? 
There's, there's no higher authority to appeal to. There's nobody greater than him. There's nobody that trumps Jesus. He's the heir of all things. Do you have a need in your life? Do you have a problem in your life? Do you have a trouble? Do you have something you can't understand? Do you need help? Do you need mercy? Do you need grace? Good. Jesus is the heir of all things, and he can give them to you. Now, I'm not talking about health and wealth and prosperity gospel here. I'm talking about Jesus is the one who gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. Jesus who, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of weakness, when we feel like we're sheep being led to the slaughter all the day long, in the midst of these things, the heir of all things will enable us to overwhelmingly conquer. He'll enable us to overcome in the midst of these things. He's the heir of all things. There's no higher appeal. Not only is the heir of all things, the second, second portion in here of why the Son is the ultimate word of God is that God created the world through him. God created the world through him. Look down there. It says he created everything through him, through whom he created all things. All things. There's one literal version that says he created all the ages, all the eons, everything that exists. He created all things. He created the world through him. We can trust him. We can trust he has the power and the ability to work all things for our good. We can trust his power over nature over the entire physical realm. We can trust his ability to heal and make things happen. He created everything. Not only has he created the entire universe of time and space, and it always belonged to him because of that. You see, Jesus always had the right over everything because he created everything, but then he was, he was given that right. He earned that right as well. So there's not one Molecule. There's not one molecule that doesn't belong to him and doesn't answer to him. This is Jesus, the ultimate word of God. He's the ultimate word of God. Not only that, look down your Bible again. It says not only Jesus himself, he, he, he's the radiance in, of, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Point C. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You know, Moses' face, when he came down from the mount after receiving the tablets and the commandments from God, he came down from the mount and his face just shone out the glory of God. It was so bright they couldn't even look at him. It must have been really weird. I've never seen anybody's face shine like that. Sometimes when I'm really oily, my face glows and, you know, but, but it's not shining like this. That's not glorious. Jesus, what is talking about here, he's, he's the light of God. He, he emanates God's glory. It's, it's like the light that comes from a light bulb as it shines from the source. Jesus is the light. He's, he's the radiance of the glory of God that shines out from God. And being co-equal and being God himself, he is a part in displaying that glory. He shines and he makes manifest the, the glorious presence of God in Luke 9, 32. Do you remember the story of Peter and James and John? They, they fall asleep on the mountain transfiguration and they wake up. <laughs> These guys are always falling asleep, by the way. I, I, don't, <laughs> I mean, I can relate to them. Um, I get tired. I mean, a lot of you... Probably can relate to that this morning, too. You're getting tired. Try not to fall asleep. Um, the, the, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. They wake up. They're kind of groggy. And it says, and when they finally saw him, um, 
They saw the unveiled glory of Jesus on the mountain. And how they responded, they wanted to build altars because he was just shining brightly. The Gospel of John, in John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've, we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is the glory that Jesus radiates out? He radiates out grace. He radiates out truth. The glory of God is grace and truth. And that's, that's good news for us, that he brings us grace and truth in our lives. We've seen the glory of the Father and the grace and truth of the Son, and later we're going to see that we can come into his throne of grace to receive what? Mercy and grace in our time of need. According to John, the signs Jesus did, they manifested his glory. And in Romans eight seventeen, Paul tells us that we are children of God and then we too are heirs and fellow heirs, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. It's good news that he's the glory, the radiance of the glory of God because we have to share in his glory. I love how F.F. Bruce put it. He said, in Christ, the glorious light of God shines into the hearts of men and women. Has he shown into your heart? Have you seen the truth and grace of Jesus? Why is it important for us to understand Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God? Well, it's because that's our hope for our physical bodies as well. I don't know what it is, but I've had different parts taken out of my body over the last three months. <laughs> About three months ago, I had, my, I had an appendectomy. I guess I needed a little part there. And, and a couple weeks ago, I had a tonsillectomy. I don't need those parts either. But um, my hope for my, my ailing physical body, and as I get older, I can feel it more and more. It, my hope is that um, my body, hopefully one day, one day, it's going to be transformed. In Philippians 3.20, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Why is it important he's already the radiance of glory of God? Well, he's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's really good news, especially for those of us who are getting older. <laughs> he's going to, I can relate. I can relate to that. Uh, everybody should be saying hallelujah on that one. Be like his glorious body by the power that enables him, it says in Philippians 3. But he's going to transform our lowly bodies, and, and, and I have a lowly body, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's good news that we see Jesus for who he is. Because he has power, because he's glorious, God's promised to make us like his son, we can trust that one day these, these bodies are going to be transformed to be like him. He's also the exact imprint or exact impress of God's nature is really the, the literal translation of that word there. <clears throat> My kids, they love playing with silly putty. Anybody like to play with silly putty here? I, I have to confess, I like to play with Silly Putty still, but I pretend it's just to play with my kids. And, um, and the cool thing about Silly Putty, you can, you can press it on something. And I used to like to get the Sunday comics out, and I would, would spread the Silly Putty and put it on the Sunday comics, and I'd pick it up, and it was, you know, the mirror image, the exact kind of representation of the Sunday comics, only the words were backwards, but I couldn't tell because I couldn't read back then anyway. Um, and, and the colors were cool. Or if you put it on Lego bricks, it looks just like Lego. Or you put it on a coin, and that's really the, the word here was the exact impress, the exact imprint. Jesus, it's, it's like he, 
It's like you stamped Jesus onto God, and, and here's the imprint of who God is exactly, of his character in every way. He completely, he completely shows us the character, the nature of God. The core of God is he's the imprint of God's character, the, the core of his nature and being. He perfectly embodies who God really is. In John 14, 9, this is what Jesus meant. In John 14, 9, he told his disciples, he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The question for us is, have you seen Jesus? Or maybe you've seen Jesus in the past, but have you seen him lately? If you haven't seen Jesus lately, I would submit to you that you probably are lacking in passion for the Christian walk. They're probably lacking in perspective for the, the Christian life. You probably are failing to have joy. You're failing to have hope. You become weary. You become downtrodden. Let me encourage you. See Jesus. He's the exact imprint of God. And Jesus has come to give you hope. He's come to give us better promises. Promises that don't have to do with this current life. Not promises to be rich, because that'll fade. Not promises to be healthy, because our health eventually will fail, and for some of us, earlier than others, apparently. And... Everything you hope for in this life one day will fail, but he will never fail. That should give us joy. If you've been lacking joy, look at the exact imprint of God. Look at Jesus. We're not done yet. Point D, Jesus upholds the universe. Look, at, look down on the Bible. It says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. It, it says literally he's, he's bearing up. He's upholding. He's carrying all things. It's a great picture. This is, this is not just Atlas carrying the world on his shoulders. This is Jesus carrying, upholding the entire universe. He upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. He hasn't gone away like the clockmaker of the deists. The deists would say that, that God just kind of wound up the world and let it go and doesn't pay attention to it. No, this verse tells us that's not who Jesus is. He isn't detached. It's good news. He's involved in the affairs of men. He's involved in your affairs. And that should give us hope. He's not left us alone. And in fact, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. He's actively sustaining everything, and that's our hope that he's carrying you. He's carrying me. He's carrying the situations. He's carrying what you're suffering in. He's upholding everything and bringing everything towards his final de destination in the redemption of his sons, in the redemption of the universe, and we groan as we wait for it, but we can wait for it in hope, knowing he is bringing all things to their final destination in these last days. We won't always be in a corrupt world. Jesus is carrying the universe. I love the picture of this word. He's carrying the universe, really, to its appointed time and end. You can have hope in Jesus. He does this with the same powerful word that he created the universe to begin with. Remember Genesis. He spoke, let there be, and everything that was became. Let there be light. Let there be day and night. Let there be the heavens and the vast expanse. Let there be animals. Let there be plants. Let, 
Let there be. God, what God says comes about. That's our hope, is that he upholds all things by the universe of his power. He didn't just create it, but what God declares to be will be. That's our hope in the Christian walk. That's meant to give us faith. Now, the last part of verse 3 tells us, look down your Bible. It tells us, it says, after making purification for sins. The next point we're going to look at is he made purification for sins. The work that he came to do, what did he come to do? He came to purify us. And he's done it. After making purification for sins, that means he's done it. If you're a Christian, if you place your hope and your faith, your trust in Jesus, and yet you feel like you're impure still, let me give you good news. You are not. You've been made pure. You're not unclean anymore. You might feel unclean. The deceiver might tell you you're still dirty because you've done these bad things. No, Jesus has made purification for the sins. And to prove it, he sat down. We're going to see in Hebrews 4, because of the forgiveness he earned us is permanent, we don't have to be ashamed. Isn't that good news? This morning, you may be aware of something you just did yesterday. Or maybe you had an argument on the way to church, the, you know, those holy arguments on the way to church that half of us have every Sunday. Your laughter betrays you. Half of you have those arguments every Sunday. Maybe more than half. Maybe it's every Sunday. You don't have to be ashamed in his presence. We can come knowing we've been perfectly atoned for. We're no longer defiled. Isn't that good news? Isn't that the picture we need to see? Isn't that the vantage point we need to have? Isn't it something to be grateful for and give us hope and give us passion to give us joy? The whole rest of Hebrews then elaborates on the fact that he's made purification for sins and that Jesus is enthroned and he's reigning on high. He's a perfect fulfillment of the messianic prophecy in Psalm 110, verse 1, when David said, Psalm 110, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And you know what's happened? Jesus has been exalted. It now says, look down in your Bible again, it says, He sat down. That's the sixth proof that the author of Hebrews is giving us why the Son is the ultimate Word of God. He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His work in purification, justification, making all those who place their faith in Him completely clean, it is complete. That's good news. It's complete. You're you're not going to be any more justified than you are today if you place your faith in Him. You're completely justified. Why did he sit down? Because he doesn't have to work anymore. He doesn't have to do anything else. He doesn't have to come back again. And that's the message that's repeated throughout the book of Mm -hmm. Hebrews. Having once for all made purification for sins, this is going to be a message that's repeated throughout the book of Hebrews. Why is it going to be repeated? We need to hear that. As Christians, you need to hear repeatedly. You need to preach that to yourself every day. That his sacrifice is complete. He's justified me completely. He sees me as sanctified. And you know what? His work is complete, but he's continuing. He's continuing to fulfill what he's already done. He's continuing to make me into who he's already said I am. Throughout Hebrews, we see the high priestly work of Jesus. 
We're going to see that he's entered into the whole, most holy place. Where has he sat down? He sat down in the most holy place. We don't have to be afraid to go before the throne of grace. Why? Because our great high priest is sitting right there. He's made atonement. It's completed. No further atonement is needed. He sat down. He's at the right hand of God. He's completely testifying to God of what he's done for us and on our behalf. He's continually making intercession for us. Nothing can separate us from his love. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Finally, verse 4, it closes this opening summary of the book with pointing out that Jesus, by being exalted to God's right hand, because he's the Son, he's greater than any created beings. He's greater than the created, greater of, greatest of angels. And, and by the way, that also means Satan too. Because Satan's just a fallen angel, right? So the last, last point of, of the author showing us why the Son is the ultimate word of God, it's, it's just point G, that he became superior to angels. The scripture says, he became superior to angels like the name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs. You notice all our points are just coming right from Scripture this morning. It's wonderful. It's very clear. God's a speaking God. He continues to speak. He's spoken to us by His Son. His Son is the ultimate Word of God. We have all these reasons why He is the ultimate Word of God. He was the Son to begin with, but get this. He also earned the right to be called the Son of God, because of the perfect life that he lived and his perfect sacrifice and his perfect death. And he was a son, and as man, he also inherited the name. And that's what it means about later when it says that um, he earned the right to be called a son of God. He, he is the son, but he also, as a man, earned that right so that we never have to earn it. Isn't that good news? We don't have to earn God's favor. We don't keep God's favor. We don't earn God's favor. We're completely justified. We can have confidence. He's upholding all things. He's over all things. He's the heir of all things. He's got a name that's higher than all things. You lack confidence in the Christian walk? There's no reason to if you see Jesus. Get in the plane. Take the flight up. See who Jesus is. Let that give you hope for the Christian walk. The Old Testament, the angels, they were the supreme messengers of God. God sent an angel to the, of the Lord to Abraham and to Jacob. And in the law, it tells us in Galatians, it was mediated to Moses by angels. And Jesus, he's superior to all that revelation. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the law. And it's an interesting that at the outset, Hebrews is all about Jesus and why he's better. He's better than the Old Testament, better than the prophets, better than the forefathers and the forerunners of the faith. He's better than the priests, better than the angels, better than the law. He's the one who created everything, who rules and reigns over the universe, who's seated in glory beside the Father. He's the one who's upholding and carrying the universe and bringing everything in subjection under himself. So this morning, as we close, what's the message of Hebrews? What, are, what, what do we want you to remember every week? We want you to remember something every week and here's what it is, the message of Hebrews. It's that seeing Jesus gives us hope in his promises. That is what our hope for this church is, that we, we see Jesus and we have hope in his promises. And that's going to be a hope throughout the book of Hebrews. Seeing Jesus gives us hope in his promises. Do you lack hope? Do you lack confidence? Do you lack faith? See Jesus. Go and look again. See Jesus, because seeing Jesus gives us hope in his promises. 
He promises purification of sins. Why would we stoop to self-atonement? He promises hope and eternal salvation. Why would we look for hope and salvation elsewhere? He promises to bring everything to its appointed end. We shouldn't lack faith. He's better than anything or anyone we could hope in in this world. He's better than any relationship. He's better than marriage for all the singles. He's better than a perfect marriage for the people who are married and maybe are thinking they wished they had not gotten married. He's better. We can hope in him. Because he's greater, he's better, he will hold us. He will keep us. But we're we're to keep holding on to the faith in him. We'll keep seeing him and giving and, and, and placing our hope in him. We have to guard against drifting, church. Guard against unbelief, hardness of heart. Guard against striving on our own and self effort, trying to impress God or impress other people, achieving his favor through works. Keep holding on to him. What do we want you to do? Keep holding on to Jesus. Keep sight of Jesus. See Jesus and have hope in his promises. Hang all of your life on who he is and what he's done and make no room for trusting in ourselves. At the end of Hebrews, everybody turn your Bible, the end of Hebrews, Hebrews 13. I don't have the scripture up there. Turn in your, in your Bibles, Hebrews 13. I love how Hebrews ends. And if the band will go ahead and come up while everybody's turning their Bibles. Sorry, band, you don't get to turn, but you can listen as you're walking up here. <coughs> At the end of Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus will equip us. Hebrews 13.20. Hebrews 13.20. Here is the benediction, really, for the book of Hebrews, and, and for you this morning, it's our prayer. Here, this is a prayer. Now may the God of peace. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's, that's our prayer for the church this morning as we be a church that's continually hanging on to, dependent on, looking in, hoping in, relying upon the great shepherd of the sheep to equip you, to work in you, to be able to do his will to enable you to do what's pleasing in his sight. And in church is our prayer that we, may, may you see Jesus for who he is. And may we have hope for living in light of his promises. Let's stand and sing together.